Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 as we continue our study in the book of Ephesians. And uh, it's all about the body life. The body life. You being the body and again the life of the church. The theme this morning, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 here in chapter 2. The title is, He Made Alive. He Made Alive. The theme this morning is, the church is a temple. The material for building the temple. The method of building the temple. And the meaning of the building of the temple. So this chapter starts out with the word, and. If you look there in verse 1, it begins, and. Because it's a continuation of the thought of chapter 1, verse 19. If you want to look there real quick, notice it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? And then verse 1, And you he made alive. Paul has been talking about that great power that raised Jesus from the dead. And we'll see that this is the same power that makes us alive. That same power, think of it, that raised Jesus from the dead makes us alive in Christ. We used to be dead in our trespasses and sin. Now that takes an extraordinary power to make something alive that was once dead. That takes resurrection power. That's the power that Paul wanted to know. He wanted to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Because it's this power that so many of God's children need to experience. Man doesn't do very well when he has power. It seems like they want to use it for their own good, to their own advantage. For example, in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 and 10... We read there that there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria because he was claiming to be someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest. And they said, oh, this man is the great power of God. But when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given when the apostles laid hands on the people, Simon offered the apostles money and said, hey, give me this power also so that anybody that I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Give me also this power. He doesn't want them to lay their hands on him so that he might receive the power of the Holy Spirit for himself because he didn't really see anything that was to be gained by it. But that the apostles would pass on to him a power that he could impart to others. He was ambitious and he was determined to have the honor of an apostle. But he wasn't all that excited about having the spirit and the character of a Christian. You see, he was more eager, he was more excited to gain honor, you know, him to himself than to do good to others. Simon acted like the two apostles were uh, a tag team of of magicians. You know, like they were out there putting on a show. Like they were fellow magicians. And he was ready to wheel and deal to buy their secret power. 
And this is where the word simony came from, which through history has referred to the buying and selling of church positions. But nothing God has for sale. I'm sorry, nothing God has is for sale. And for sure, not the Holy Spirit. And there's nothing that sinful men have to offer God. There's nothing that we could give to God that he wants. Except maybe a repentant heart. After man discovered nuclear power, it changed the world. But not for the better. It's made our world a more dangerous place to live. Because it gave man the power to destroy each other and the world. Man is dangerous today. As we look around, we see the things that are going on. And we're foolish to think that no nation would dare use nuclear power. Because there are men in positions of power today who would probably use it right now if they had the capability. When, Muhammad, when, when Mahmoud Ahmadinejad was the president of Iran several years back, he said this, Nuclear energy is our right, and we will resist until this right is fully attained. Iran is in the process of developing nuclear power. But the power of God that Paul talks about here is the power that God will release in a person's life when they turn their life over to Jesus Christ. And God will lift that person out of spiritual death into spiritual life. And this power will be displayed in you. In you. Because the church is the body of Christ in the world. The Lord Jesus reveals himself in the world today through each one of you in this room who are born again. And in a lot of ways, the church as a temple is like the temple in the Old Testament and the tabernacle of the wilderness before that. The similarities and differences are clear and pretty easy to see. For example, the tabernacle and the temple were made out of living trees of acacia wood that were cut into, life, into lifeless pieces of wood. In order to build a church, God takes dead material and he makes it into a living temple. And that's what he's done with us. We were dead material. Dead in our, in our, in our trespasses and in our sins. Then the temple and the tabernacle were places of glory, a place of glory for God to dwell in. So God has taken dead material, he's made it into a living temple, a place for glory, the glory of God to dwell. The church, each individual person, is a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. The tabernacle and the temple were for the performance of a ritual and for repeated sacrifices for sin. But the church is built on the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ, a sacrifice that is not repeated. Hebrews 9, 25 and 26 says this, Not that he, that is Christ, should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. One time and for all. The church doesn't have a ritual either. Now, we can make it a ritual. The church is a working organism where the Holy Spirit moves through the living stones, which are you. First Peter 2.5, he said, And you are living stones 
that God is building into his temple. God hasn't given us a ritual to, 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 for the church, like the ritual in the temple in the Old Testament times. Now, some people think that they've had a church service because, like this morning, they come to the church. It opens up in prayer. They sing a few praise songs. Then they listen to a sermon. And then they finish by giving their tithes and their offerings. And then they go home. But for a lot of people, that church service was nothing but an empty ritual. Just going through the motions with no emotions. And the church has not been given a ritual. So, is it wrong to do that? Not really. But we, we don't just go through the motion of saying words that have become an empty ritual to a lot of people today. These things should have meaning. We should come here not saying, well, you know, it's, it's church time. time Got to go to church today and, and sit, you know, wait until it's all done. We should come here excited, enthusiastic about, hey, I'm going to church because I'm going to meet with God. He's going to meet me here. He's going to speak to me. These things that we, we hear and learn, they have meaning. And, and they're right when they're done with meaning. Not only does the church not have a temple ritual, it's also not a temple made with hands. Remember in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul was looking for a temple not made with hands? Listen to Acts chapter 17, verse 24 and 25. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And then in 1 John, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20, Paul says, Or do you not know that your, Bible, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? If you were, uh, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Paul said, glorify God in your body, because that is the temple, now the new temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given for the purpose of glorifying Jesus Christ. So the Spirit can use our bodies to glorify Him and to magnify Him. How? By the way we live. I was reading a devotional this morning that talked about a man that was going to go to uh, learn the Bible and he wanted to, to learn the various languages so that you know, he would know the Word of God better and be able to speak to people better about the Word of God. But the man talking to him said, you know, we have so many versions of the Bible, different versions. That people buy to help them learn and to help them you know, know what the Bible says. But yet, there's still a lot of people that are ignorant of the Bible. Even with all of these uh, versions of the Bible. And the man said, it may be because it's one thing to know the Bible. But, but he says, a lot of people don't see the Bible what it says lived out in the person who says they know the Bible. And that is the biggest problem today. 
people know the Bible. And there's so much information on what the Bible says and what it means, and yet it's not seen in the people who say they know. And that's a sad commentary on the church. They want to see the Bible, but they want to see it in us who claim to be Christians. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And this temple is meant to glorify God in this body. So it's really important that we understand that the Spirit can use our bodies. And that's why God made them the temple of the Holy Spirit, to glorify Him and to magnify Him. Our special relationship to the Holy Spirit brings with it a special responsibility. Again, to be witnesses. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all involved in what we do with our bodies. If we break God's laws, then we have to pay the penalty. Israel never believed that God was confined to the temple. When Solomon was dedicating the temple, listen to his prayer in 1 Kings 8.27. Solomon prayed, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. Every knowledgeable Israelite knew that God did not live in a temple, something that was made by man's hands. God told them that the temple was the place where he would meet with them. And that's why they came to the temple. That's why they came with a sacrifice and a ritual. But the church doesn't have any of that today. Another clear uh, difference to the Old uh, Testament temple is the position of the Gentiles, those who weren't Jews. If you remember, there there was a place that was called the court of the Gentiles where those who were Gentiles could come into the temple, but they had to come in as proselytes, converts to Judaism, And they couldn't go anywhere in the temple other than the court of the Gentiles. Now, the the court of the Gentiles, where that place was located, it was way off to the left of the temple. So they were far away from everything that went on in the temple. The Gentiles could not get very close, you know, to the, you know, figuratively, uh, figuratively speaking, to God. So, That's why Paul says in Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, way off in the back of the temple, had been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, we who are Gentiles have been brought in pretty close to, to Jesus. We're even told that we're seated in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Now, you just can't get any closer than that. You can't get better seats than that. So in verses 1 through 10, Paul presents the past, present, and future of the Christian. Paul presents what the Christian was in verses 1 through 3. He presents what he is in verses 4, 5, 6, 8, and 9. And he presents what he will be in verse 7 and verse 10. So let's begin now with verses 1 and 2. Philippians, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2. And Paul says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, notice past tense, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So Paul talks about the material for building the temple here. Now here's a literal translation of verse 1 and 2. 
And you being dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the age of this world, according to the principle of the power of the air of the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, and you being dead in your trespasses and sins. You notice that at verse 1, the words he made alive are most likely, depending on your version of the Bible, are in, are in italics. He made alive are in italics. This means it wasn't in the original text, but it was put in there to smooth out the translation. But if you look at verse 5, you see it's there again. He made alive. So you might be saying, well, wait a minute. They added it to the Bible. They didn't add to the Bible in the sense that it changed the context or it changed the meaning or what it said. It was there to smooth it out. Again, read it. Uh, look at verse 2. It says, without uh, he made it alive. It says, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins. And as you read on, it says he made alive when you get to verse 5. But he starts it out in verse 2. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So you see, it says the same thing. It doesn't change. It isn't added in the sense that it changes the meaning of the word of God. So it was added again to just to, to, to smooth out uh, the reading of it. So again, uh, According to the, uh, it says, you who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Notice it was past tense. It says, according to the course of this world, it means according to secularism. It means according to the ways of the world or according to the principle of this world. The word world, it doesn't mean the physical universe. It means the society, civilization, life pattern or lifestyle of the world today. So what Paul is saying, you were once dead in trespasses and sins. You, you, you used to walk according to the ways of the world, according to secularism. You walked according to their ways, the things that they did. You walked according to the principles of this world. So again, to the lifestyle, and, and it, we, you were a part of that. The words according to the prince of the power of the air means the authority of Satan's power. The spirit who now works, the word works means energizes. So you once walked in the authority and in the energy of the devil. The devil takes this dead material, this mass of human flesh that's dead in trespasses and sins, and he brings it to life. That's why the cults are always so busy and yet with the same results. Members of false religion many times put us to shame in their, in their passion and commitment for their cult. But Satan is empowering them. He's energizing them. When man gets into the marvelous kingdom of light through the new birth and he gets close to God, Satan is now powerless against that individual. But he's powerful enough today to deceive and lead people astray. He's powerful today in the cults and he's powerful in the false religions of the world. Look at verse 3 now. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves, again past tense, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, look at were, past tense, were by nature children of wrath just as the others. In verse 1, Paul says that we were dead in trespasses and sins. Speaking of the death of Adam, which he passed on to us. 
Paul said in Romans 5, 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Adam's sin made us the children of a fallen man, and we all have the same nature that Adam had. A fallen nature with no ability or no leaning toward God. You see, Adam died spiritually the day he disbelieved and disobeyed God. He ran away from God. He tried to hide from God. He wasn't looking for God. That's the position of the natural man today. You know, there are times you, you hear that, that, that men, oh yeah, men has a, has a little flicker of godliness in them. They have a little flicker of good. You know, and, and they're looking for God. That's totally false. Totally false. Man does not look for God. The same day that Adam uh, disobeyed God, he died to God. And he died to the things of God, even though he didn't die physically until 900 years after he'd eaten the fruit. But he died spiritually. He had lost his ability and longing for God. And he was separated from God because death is separation. All death is separation. Physical death is separation from the spirit and the soul from the body. When somebody dies, we don't see the spirit and the soul separate. We see only the dead body. Spiritual death is a separation from God. So after man sinned, he could go on living physically and mentally, but he was dead spiritually because he was separated from God. Man passed that same dead nature onto all of his children. And it's only the conviction of the Holy Spirit that can penetrate the conscience of any man in this world today. You can't do it. I can't do it. Only the Holy Spirit can do it. Adam trespassed against God. Adam crossed the line that God had set for him. Sin means to miss the mark. We, we just don't meet God's standards at all, regardless of what you'd like to think or anybody would like to think. We do not meet God's standards at all. None of us do. Paul said in Romans 3.23, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, do we need a dictionary to define all? No, it means all. Every single human soul. We just don't meet God's standard at all. Listen to what Paul goes on to say further in Romans 3, 10 through 12 and verse 18. Paul says, and notice how many times he says none. He says, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have altogether become unprofitable. That means to become useless. There is none who does good. No, not one. Because there is no fear of God before their eyes. Nobody's righteous apart from Christ. Nobody understands apart from Christ. Nobody seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They've become useless. There's none that does good. Not one. The reason is they have no fear of God. Proverbs 3, I'm sorry, Romans 3, verses 10 through 18, give us a rundown. It describes the nature of the human race. 
And when you read that, you see, when you read that, that's what's wrong with the world today. That's our condition. Dead in trespasses and sin, energized by Satan. That describes us before we were saved, and every unsaved man, woman, and child is walking around today in this world like a spiritual robot under Satan's power and control. This description of our past isn't very pretty. Paul says we walked around according to the spirit of the age. We conform to the society and civilization and lifestyle of the world. And Paul said, hey, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which comes by hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We were walking, Paul says, according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that energizes the sons of disobedience. That's Satan. He's the prince of the power of the air. And he takes people and he leads them around. Today, when Christians talk about being separated from the world, they think about things that are fleshly or carnal or godless. The typical sins of the world are the, material, the, the, the mental and spiritual sins, which are probably, in God's eyes, worse than the physical sins. Listen to James, what he says in chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version. James said, What leads to strife, discord, and feuds? And how do quarrels and fights start among you? Do they not arise from your sensual desires that are ever warring in your bodily members? You're jealous, and you want what others have, and, you de- and your desires go unfulfilled. So you become murderers. To hate is to murder as far as your hearts are concerned. You burn with envy and anger and are not able to obtain the gratification, the contentment, and the happiness that you seek. So you fight and you war. You do not have because you do not ask. Or you do ask God for them and yet fail to receive because you ask with wrong purpose and evil and selfish motives. Your intention is when you get what you desire to spend it on your own sensual pleasures. You are like unfaithful wives having illicit love affairs with the world and breaking your marriage vow to go to God. Don't you know that being uh, the world's friend is being God's enemy? So whoever chooses to be a friend of the world takes his stand as an enemy against God. Jesus said in in Mark 7, 21 through 23, Jesus said this, from within, out of the heart of men. Notice the source, the heart. Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things, evil things, come from within and defile a man. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27 through 29, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What used to be something was considered, you know, if you did it physically, now the Lord says, even if you think about it. So again, it's a a new motivation. It's a new new desire that, that Jesus is talking about. A lot of people go to church on Sunday. Very godly. And they think they're separated from the world. But on Monday morning, hey, it's back to normal. 
They start out on Monday morning in this sinful everyday world just as mean, just as, as hard. And they're after the same things that the world is after, just like everyone else. They want it to consume it upon their own lusts. For their own, they want it for their own selfish desires. That's what James is talking about. The believer has been saved from that, though. John says it like this in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Because, he says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It's very clear. God's word is very clear. There are a lot of people today who say they don't live in gross sin. They say, oh, no, I I wouldn't do those sins. I, I wouldn't live like that. I wouldn't act like some people do. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan used to ask this question. Would you like to live like they do? Do you like to watch people sinning on TV because that way you do those same things through somebody else? That's what John's talking about when he says, love not the world. Do you really love the world? How do you feel about the world? Do you really long for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the rapture of the church. It's a wonderful thing to think about and it's exciting to talk about. But would you be sad if an angel broke in here and said, hey, Jesus is coming in a minute. How would you feel about that? Would you be sad? Because, oh man, I had plans for this in my future and you know I, I wanted to do this first before Jesus came back and or would you be so excited that you'd drop everything in him and you'd be standing at the door just waiting anxiously for Jesus to come are you all wrapped up in a job in a business a home or some club or in a worldly church would you be hesitant to go with Christ because everything will be so different. This is the way Peter described the lost world. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Second Peter 2, 15 and 16. This is a picture of the lost world. Do you as a child of God fit into this picture? Before we knew Jesus, Paul said, we walked according to the prince of the power of the air. Who is Satan? He was the energizer. He energized us. He moved us when we were in the world. But you can't serve God and mammon. The one we serve is the master. Whichever one you serve is the master. Even the Christian has to choose who he'll serve. Just like Joshua 24, 15, he says, choose for yourselves this day. Not tomorrow. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
Some people think that serving God means that you don't dress like the world, you don't go to worldly entertainment, you don't hang out with people who are compromising in the word of God. But that's not separation. That's what people think it is today. And it's silly to talk, to talk like, like that when your own life is full of bitterness, hatred, and selfishness, which are gross sins. Verse 3 says, Among whom also we all once, past tense, conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. Notice how Paul says we. He includes himself. He puts himself right there with this crowd, and we need to do the same thing. Now this verse could be read like this. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just like the others. It's sad that there are Christians who live for that old carnal nature. They live just like the man of the world is living today. Their lifestyle is driven and motivated by a godless philosophy and controlled by satanic attitudes. There's something wrong with a lifestyle that includes everything in the world except Jesus. In closing, in this section of chapter 2, Paul is describing the past, present, and future of the church and of all believers. Have you ever noticed the office of palm readers? They're usually shabby little structures, usually in the shabbier parts of town. Now you think that if they were so good at telling the future, they'd have much nicer and bigger places to do business. It's obvious that that's not the case. They can't even make a good living for themselves. And yet they tell others that they will have a fortune coming to them. Oh, it's in the mail. You're, you're, you're heading for a fortune. The Christian doesn't need to go to palm readers. He doesn't need to go to psychics. Don't need to read their, their horoscopes. God has already told us what our future, past, and present will be. Even though we used to be, we used to be like everybody else. Now, through faith in Jesus Christ, we're not like them anymore. Let the world see that. That we're not like them anymore. You know, somebody once says that the, the best version of the Bible anybody reads might be you. Might be you. Because of Christ's past work of salvation in us, we are now and eternally under his love and delivered from the natural human condition of death, sin, separation, disobedience, demon control, lust, and judgment. God has saved us. He's freed us. He's given us rest. He's given us peace. His wonderful grace, His wonderful mercy. Let's show that to the world. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and we thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for for the past tense in our life, God. And Father, help us in the present tense to live for you, Lord, so that in the future tense we'll be with you for all eternity. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you don't, you are, as Paul said, you are right now dead, spiritually speaking, because of your sins, your trespasses. But he wants to bring you into his light. He wants to remove you from the dark kingdom of this world. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. As I mentioned a minute ago, I can't do it. Nobody else can do it. Only the Holy Spirit, as He speaks to your heart and He shows you your need for Christ. If the Spirit is impressed upon you this morning that you need to be saved, that you need Jesus Christ, as we're praying, if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you want to know that you will spend eternity with him. Just lift up your hand real quick and put it back down. Anybody at all. If the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart, just put up your hand and then put it back down. All right, I saw one hand. Anybody else? All right, for that, okay, I see a second hand. Awesome. Okay, I'm going to pray this prayer out loud and those who raise their hand, and even if you didn't raise your hand but you want to accept the Lord, that's fine too. There's nothing magical about raising your hand. It's about having a repentant heart and wanting to receive Christ. So those who want to receive Christ, repeat this prayer after me, but you're repeating it to the Lord, not to me. <clears throat> Dear Jesus, please forgive me, Lord, for all of my sins. I confess to you, I am a sinner. Please cleanse me of all of my sins. I want to receive you as my Lord and my Savior. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me now to walk with you all the days of my life. And thank you, Lord, for dying for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Awesome.